Welcome to Green Energy Futures. I'm David Dodge. In this special full-length interview, Edmonton Mayor Don Iveson sits down for an exclusive, candid interview on the subject of Edmonton's energy transition strategy. Edmonton's mayor is known as a content guy, and no topic proves this more than this one. Have a listen as Iveson digs into the topic of how Edmonton transitions to clean energy from one of the dirtiest electricity grids in Canada. Join me now in the mayor's office. Clearly, energy transition is a topic that's uh, gaining momentum these days, and, and it's becoming a focus in Edmonton, as evidenced by the fact that we have a strategy for, at least a strategy, the beginnings of a strategy for energy transition in this city. Uh, why is energy transition important? Well, certainly, um, there's an environmental responsibility that every community on uh, on Earth faces, which is... Um, you know, especially against the absence of national leadership, and we hope that will change um, in Paris soon. But I think we've recognized through uh, through the work that we've done on this energy transition strategy that uh, systems change is necessary, and uh, that involves some change, especially at the provincial level around our electricity grid, around carbon pricing, so that we can be the kind of uh, stewards of our environment that uh, that we are around waste management, that we are around biodiversity in our river valley. We we need to move into that same space, which I think is Edmontonians' instinct uh, around energy and around climate. In my research over the last three years, I have found more remarkable examples of municipal leadership than any other level of government, perhaps with the notable exception of Ontario and uh, maybe a few other policies in a few other provinces. We're here in the fossil fuel capital of, uh, well, Canada and and maybe beyond. Uh, What does a sustainable energy or an energy sustainable future look like in Edmonton? Like when you paint the picture, what does it look like? Well, let's just start for a minute with thinking about this hydrocarbon question. Um, We sit on an extremely valuable resource and perhaps burning it is not the most um, entrepreneurial thing we can do with uh, these long chain hydrocarbon uh, goo resources that that we've inherited by chance. You know, uh, these things should be advanced materials. We're going to be in the hydrocarbon business. It just may not be in the hydrocarbon combustion business into the future. So I think there's a ton of space for innovation around that sort of thing. And so whether it's the uh, National Institute for Nanotechnology thinking about different ways to turn these uh, these valuable raw materials into advanced materials, whether it's for batteries for energy storage or whether it's for, for other purposes, I think we have to look at all of this as, a, as an economic development, economic diversification opportunity. But what the city actually looks like as we make energy transition is uh, first and foremost you know we'd have citizens who are more energy literate in terms of thinking about uh, the energy and climate implications of the decisions that they make around transportation around their largest purchase which tends to be their residence or where they pay rent uh, and in their businesses the kind of investments they make to reduce their exposure uh, to uh, shifting uh, fossil fuel energy prices which you know we've seen a lot of instability in that over the over the last decade I don't think that's going to go away as the uh, uh, as energy shifts but we're also going to see uh, buildings um, with uh, uh, much better energy efficiency over time, not just from building code, uh, not just from the floor coming up through the building code, but also through um, uh, innovation. And we see extraordinary innovation in both commercial and residential construction 
led by businesses here in Edmonton and researchers working with them uh, at uh, our post-secondary institutions. We're going to see a uh, shift to energy efficiency and industrial processes as well because that's a huge, huge portion of our footprint right now. And I think that sort of uh, change is going to be supported both by uh, business leaders who, who get it and do it instinctively and also by price signals shifting, particularly around the cost of carbon. Uh, um, you know, Energy is not going to be as as free as it has been or as cheap as it has been. And that's going to shift incentives to make people, um, particularly in business, make energy smart decisions, which happen to be um, uh, economically wise as well as environmentally wise, both for air quality and for climate change. So we're going to see those kinds of shifts. We're going to also see changes, uh, particularly around transportation, how people move around our city and whether it's a a lot more public transit uh, or whether it's um, uh, more opportunities for people to uh, walk and bike. You know, all of those things make a huge difference. We're also going to see um, a denser urban form over time, which supports that walkability, uh, supports that transit-oriented uh, lifestyle. Uh, and then in order for a lot of this to work, we're going to have to see a greener electricity grid. Uh, we're going to have to see more local production of, uh, of energy through combined heat and power and renewables in our city. Um, so there'll be a lot of changes uh, that will support things like increasing electric, electrification of uh, the municipal vehicle fleet, whether it's our buses uh, or the private vehicle fleet in terms of uh, uh, people's uh, vehicles. So, you know, that's just a sample of what the energy resilient future looks like for Edmonton. But I think the uh, underlining it all is though it does require a variety of investments up front, uh, we've modeled this out and people are most importantly going to save a bunch of money. Uh, over over this time, plus you know their air will be cleaner, which uh, which everybody is is concerned about. And yeah, maybe if we all do our part uh, as Edmontonians in concert with other global citizens, we can uh, make sure that we don't scorch the planet with runaway climate change. So these are all of the the benefits. This is the no regrets uh, scenario, as they say. You know, I just came back from Spain uh, visiting perhaps one of the most compact cities on the planet, Vitoria Gasteiz, which is the green capital of Europe. Uh, and uh, it's a very compact city. It's a very different challenge for them. You know, it's their city six uh, kilometers uh, across at the widest point, three, three kilometers in diameter. Uh, they've managed to, to get their citizens, 54% of them walking. They've increased their cycling, that sort of thing. All kinds of different things that are really interesting. Our challenge is different here. We have perhaps the most sprawling city maybe anywhere, certainly in Canada. Uh, and No, no, I think, I think we can cede the title to Calgary for that. <laughs> <laughs> Barely. <laughs> On a scale of 1 to 10, where is Edmonton today in terms of becoming that energy-sustainable place? Well, honestly, I'd have to give us a four. I mean, I think we've done some some good things, and uh, we can talk about where we need to improve too. But I mean, where where we can be proud of uh, the the leadership that uh, previous councils have shown is uh, around a vision to uh, reduce uh, our impact related to waste management. This is one of the areas where people come from all around the world to learn from us. We've even started a company to commercialize our expertise uh, and our partners' uh, expertise in. In waste management into other markets where the need is huge. And so, you know, our uh, our goal to get to 90% diversion from landfill without using incineration, it's very easy to get to 100% diversion from landfill as long as you're using incineration, which is kind of almost, you know, 
almost as bad or worse than coal, depending on how you do it. So without using incineration. So, of course, using recycling, which we've done for uh, more than 25 years, composting, which we've been doing for uh, decades as well. And now the uh, waste energy biofuels facility, which is just coming online as we speak here, uh, we're getting to that goal. And in the process, we're not only recovering um, materials, um, but we're also reducing, obviously, the methane, uh, which comes from um, the rotting of garbage, essentially. We actually capture that methane in the old landfill, produce electricity for about 4,500 homes. So we, we were a really early adopter around municipal waste management, which is actually a huge part of uh, a municipal and community greenhouse gases. So so we've had leadership there, and then we're going to produce 32 million liters a year of, uh, of biofuel out of uh, uh, this waste energy system. So there I'd say, you know, we're a 9 out of 10. But uh, when you uh, um, look at some of the other spaces, uh, you know, I'll, I mentioned before, you know, we have uh, some amazing builders, whether it's uh, landmark homes and their goal to, to build, uh, you know, at, at an industrial scale through prefabrication, uh, net zero ready homes and ultimately net zero homes uh, at the sort of consumer scale, not the boutique scale. I mean, that's extraordinary uh, leadership from uh, uh, Reza Nassery, the, the, the president of the company. But then we also do have uh, some boutique builders who are building really extraordinary uh, green homes, in, including um, uh, you know, a, a number of net zero homes, I think the largest concentration of them in Canada. And then commercial construction, which is not surprising because this is a big construction city. There are, uh, you know, companies like PCL who are doing uh, extraordinary and consistent work delivering, um, uh, uh, you know, LEED certified, really high performing uh, commercial and institutional buildings, thanks to government leadership to demand that and then increasingly expectations for that in the private sector um, from tenants. Uh, so that literacy is coming uh, both on the tenant side, but on the on the builder side as well. And then Again, in the, in the sort of boutique end of things, you see the Mosaic Center, which is a, a truly net zero and very beautiful a center for commerce and for community in our industrial southeast, which is, uh, uh, you know, a great commercial, a great example of commercial building technology that is also um, business feasible. And so we're seeing that uh, that uh, evolution in the building space, which I think is going to support a lot of cost-effective energy efficiency uptake in new construction and retrofit into the future. So there's a lot of great leadership there. And then, you know, we've we've done some important work around uh, things like streetlight conversion, uh, which is really accelerating and, and improving the energy efficiency of, I mean, uh, electricity is the thing we use the most. And what we use it mostly for is, um, is with uh, uh, street lighting. And so changing that makes a huge difference to the municipality's uh, greenhouse gas footprint. And then, you know, we're we're looking at uh, electrification of the bus fleet. We continue to do some piloting there, working with the producers to overcome some of the, the cold weather challenges about how do you generate heat uh, in an energy efficient way to make the bus a uh, survivable experience for people in uh, in January, February. So so I think we're, we've picked some spaces where we're uh, um, participating in innovate, innovation, both as a community, as, as businesses, and as the municipality. But we have a long way to go in some other areas to really get to, to the 10 that we all need to get to. So uh, w- the way I'm hearing it from you and what I would surmise is that uh, we are making progress in a couple of key areas. Green buildings, uh, one could say we're a, we have a virtual center of excellence around green buildings in Edmonton. Uh, is LRT one of the other big ones that we're actually starting to do right? 
Well, I would say we're starting to. I mean, we've had that historical leadership around uh, the growth of our LRT system. But where we uh, haven't gotten to where we need to be is obviously, you know, I have a strong vision backed by our council uh, unanimously to pursue build out of the system. It's got to get to all corners of the city. We need to be able to redesign the bus system around it to really complement it. And so that all of it can support um, not just people making a different uh uh, choice in terms of their transportation, but also make different choices in terms of where they live and where they shop and where they work, supporting that transit-oriented lifestyle, which is uh, um, really, really important as the city gets more expensive to the extent that uh, families who are finding housing affordability challenging, if we can support with great public transit their ability to choose to be a one-car household instead of a two-car household, first of all, you can buy a one-car garage or one-car space instead of two, which actually is a savings in your house affordability, uh, and then direct those car payments to either rent payments or mortgage payments, and you now actually have a wealth building strategy, which is good for economic development in your community. Just so happens, it's also got an environmental benefit. And if we start to move price signals around some of these things, I think it reinforces that positive behavior, which, uh, um, as I said, is good for the economy. It's also good for air quality. It's good for commerce on the street in terms of supporting that town center vibe. You know, everyone wants to live in a neighborhood with a coffee shop and a bookstore. Well, you have to have a critical mass of people either coming to a public transit stop or a post-secondary institution or um, uh, uh, an employment center or ideally all of those things in order to be able to support that street life and density is part of that. And so we have a lot of work to do around land use linked uh, uh, to support that denser town center kind of feel. Um, as well as link it all together with great transit. And, and that's our vision. You know, our planning is all consistent around that. And with the, again, with the, with the election results federally, there's a kind of a line of sight to the federal commitment to fund that sort of infrastructure. Uh, we're making the, the effort to look at reorganizing our bus system around that. So transit um, uh, and, and transportation choices, is, which would include you know, a better pedestrian experience and a better cycling experience for more Edmontonians, these things are all critical to that uh, um, lighter energy footprint uh, lifestyle. So we're committed to that, but we have a long way to go. Um, uh, to activate it. And then behind all of that, especially if you're going to run uh, LRT, which is a, a big electrified system, right now, you know, we can feel good about it because it's electric, but the tailpipe is still out at, at uh, Lake Wobman and is, uh, you know, dominantly powered by, by coal. So we need to, you know, greening the grid is one of the things that uh, would make a massive difference in supporting the elect- electrification of a lot of things we do right now that, uh, that you would think twice about doing because of the carbon footprint of where we get our electricity from. So those are some of the things that we need to change to move us closer to uh, move us closer to a ten. So we've started this process. We have an energy transition strategy. Um, it's it's a pretty sophisticated document. Um, how is this different from our climate change strategy that we tried to implement ten years ago? And and uh, I suspect we didn't achieve our our goals in that. No, we we didn't, and I think it's because we weren't. F- fully committed, didn't fully understand what was involved. Uh, I think council was divided over it. Uh, and I think, you know, um, we were at the time relying on leadership um, and still are relying on leadership from other orders of government around things like carbon pricing, around running incentive programs for citizens, things that frankly dried up over the last 10 years. And so, um, you know, I think our intentions were good. I think, as usual, we want to do the right thing uh, ethically and, and for our community. But uh, the conditions just weren't right. 
What's different here is that we have unanimous approval from council. There's a strong statement that uh, that we're going to do this, even understanding that there are some costs. Now, as the costs escalate to make this strategy successful, it's still our position that uh, you know the orders of government with 92 cents of the money should be chipping in to make some of this stuff happen. But we're prepared to take continuing leadership to build local strategies. And I'm a big believer in this approach, which is that um, you know national governments, well, no government has all the answers, and uh, but if there's an order of government that can build a strategy that's going to work in a community, it's local government. And this is why the opportunity really is for provincial and federal uh, governments around the world to tap into their cities, to tap into the leadership, uh, because then you can try a couple of different things. And you may need to do different things in Vancouver than in Edmonton, and even different things in Calgary than in Edmonton because of local context. So you got to activate local governments. And and, uh, we've taken the initiative to provide that uh, Edmonton-specific bottom up approach. Uh, but it is going to require partnerships with other orders of government. What else? What's different is that uh, you know we have uh, provincial and federal governments who are not denying <laughs> climate change is is anthropogenically connected. Uh, they're they're prepared to go to Paris and talk about what we're going to do. And so, but if they want to be successful, they're going to need to plug into uh, to to specific and uh, achievable and measurable. Um, and cogent local strategies, which we've provided here. So I think the conditions are much better now. Some of the other things that we've done, obviously, the the plan is very, very detailed. The last one, the framing was, we have to do this because it's morally right. And I I think that's very much the framing of this too. But we've also added in, if we do this, we're going to save money. Uh, because energy efficiency, um, especially, is going to reduce people's costs over time. And you know, as a whether it's a high cost producer in in, in fabric, you know, manufacturing or in oil and gas, um, business is savvy to that. And then you know, we've seen concerns about air quality. So we've we've added in some of these other reasons why that aren't just about climate change, uh, which is obviously sort of civilization dependent importance. But but we've we've created other reasons for people to hop onto this, which I think is one of the reasons why we got unanimous support. Now, the proof will be in the pudding. Ask me in 10 years how we did on it. But uh, I think one key thing that's uh, that's different with our approach now, too, is that we've added in uh, strong governance and oversight to it. We're actually creating an advisory committee to uh, uh, to city council that will oversee and report on this. And so we're going to appoint people to it who are uh, knowledgeable and who, who aren't there for politics. They're there as citizens because they um, have technical expertise uh, um, and passion for these issues, and that's going to help uh, hold council's feet to the fire to carry on this work. And so I think we're creating both the political uh, and and um, the economic conditions for this to be something that uh, everyone can get behind. So you hit on something there that I think is really interesting, and that is perhaps uh, framing, perhaps some of its framing. You know, if, if you pose the challenge as climate change and it's this big, huge issue that nobody as an individual seems to be able to have any, make any difference with, and if you change that framing to we're going to build new businesses, we're going to uh, plug into green energy and renewable energy uh, and, and start new economic initiatives, uh, it's a different framing, and I think you hit on that. Well, yeah. I mean, if you if you put out the benefits there that in addition to our civilization surviving, um, uh, because we reduce the probability of our species going extinct. Beca- I mean, I, I'm I'm overstating it because that was the dialogue for 20 years, right? And 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 I, you know, I as a as a father, I worry about that stuff. But in order to break into people's day to day, we got to talk about how it's it is going to uh, save them money if they make different choices around efficiency uh, over time. Um, 
and energy resilience, and, and also that there's a huge upside here around clean air. The problem is carbon is so abstract. CO2 and, and uh, you know, greenhouse gases are so abstract for people because they're colorless and odorless, right? And, and uh, there's no clear and present danger the same way there was with, um, uh, uh, with um, uh, the ozone layer, for example. I mean, it's like, oh, okay, we're all going to get cancer if we don't do this. We better do something, right? So, uh, so you have to articulate the multiple accounts benefit of, uh, of, of uh, adopting a strategy like this. And I think um, anybody can get behind clean air. And that's becoming a huge issue in our city because of tailpipe emissions and because of how we produce our electricity. So, uh, um, you know, and then there's a public health upside, too, for all of us in terms of uh, uh, dealing with uh, with air quality. So, And we, we haven't even begun to quantify that in our strategy, but that's one of the best long-term benefits of greening the grid and electrifying more of our transportation system, creating more transportation alternatives for people that rely less on hydrocarbon combustion. I think, um, you know, and, and you put Put it in those terms, and even someone who instinctually um, uh, resists the idea of climate change for whatever reason um, can find a way to get behind an energy resilient strategy, which is really what this is, in addition to a, a climate change strategy. So this is about setting goals as well, and, and uh, I uh, recently did a story on Vancouver, uh, which is a, they've set this audacious goal of making themselves the greenest city in the world, uh, but they also recently set a goal of having their city run on 100% renewable energy by 2050. Do we, do we have goals right now, and if so, what, what are they? We do. We we aren't looking out that far because I think that every city will be running on 100%. I mean, this is just my opinion. This isn't the, the city's official opinion. I think every city will be running on, on near uh, fully renewable energy by 2050. Um, so I think it's good that people are putting that out there as a market expectation. Our strategy is is uh, doesn't look out that far because there's so much uncertainty about what the disruptive technologies will be. So we've really tried to focus on the next 20 years uh, where we can kind of have a sense of what the trends are and what kind of policy changes need to happen now to get the shifts that we need. And so the specific goals we're looking for are reducing the community-based, which is overall, not just uh, the municipal corporation, but community-based greenhouse gas emissions by 35% by 2035, which puts us on the trajectory that the scientists say that we need to be on. Uh, and it also, excuse me, it also means that we don't have to try to figure out uh, what the next 20 years after that is going to look like because we just don't have enough information right now. We need to get on the right trajectory, though, uh, and so that's what our strategy is really focused on. Uh, we do want to see uh, energy consumption uh, reduced by 25% per person uh, by 2035, uh, so there's a huge push for energy efficiency, the old saying that the best megawatt is a megawatt in energy terms, and so there's a lot of lot we can do there with today's technology. Um, and then energy resilience, we'd like to see 10% of Edmonton's electricity generated locally by 2035, which is an achievable goal through a combination of uh, high energy efficiency, combined heat and power of natural gas, as well as uh, uptake of renewables and even harvesting um, uh, waste heat. So, for example, one of uh, one of the things we're looking at closely for Blatchford, our um, green community that we want to build, is 100% um, uh, renewable energy for 30,000 people plus businesses um, 
on that uh, 600 acre green development we're planning and and uh, in addition to a geo exchange field uh, one of the things we're looking at is uh, like they did for the Vancouver Olympic Village is is harvesting waste heat out of the sewer trunk line which runs through so so there are lots of different ways we can imagine getting to that goal with today's technology out past 2035 it's really hard to say but I think positioning ourselves as innovators in that space positioning ourselves as um, uh, building businesses around achieving these kinds of solutions and and being a part of innovating the renewables answers, innovating the storage answers, innovating the new construction techniques uh, for cost-effective energy efficiency in, in construction and in industrial processes, I think that's how we're going to continue to be an energy superpower even as the energy markets around us change. So so that's a little more than what you're asking about with our goals. But, uh, um, uh, but yeah, tangibly and in the short term, we have very specific reduction targets. So what kinds of things can we expect? I, I know that citizens are watching this. They're watching the change in the provincial government. They're watching the change in the federal government. Uh, they know, uh, or at least they're dimly aware, that we have some ambition in the city of Edmonton. What does that look like? Can we expect energy efficiency programs, solar programs? What does it look like on the ground to achieve the goals you just outlined? Well, the scale of what we can do and the speed with which we can do it at the municipal level will depend entirely on how much leadership and partnership we get with provincial and federal governments. So uh, this, though it is a bottom-up strategy, is going to require all hands on deck. And so it's one of the things that we're talking about with the provincial government in the context of the city charter, which is, you know, um, if you want, if the provincial government wants to achieve big reduction goals, they have to go to where those emissions are. And outside of the oil sands, which they're, they're working with industry on, um, the big urban centers are where the majority of the uh, energy is consumed, um, both for residences, but especially for um, industrial and commercial and institutional activities. So there's critical mass in Edmonton and Calgary to make changes and pilot things. And I think they should be working with mid-sized and small and rural and remote communities too. But I really think that uh, through, you know, endorsing or adopting our energy transition strategy and uh, providing resources and aligning with us to implement the kinds of programs that are contained in it, I think you would see those changes um, uh, manifest. There's still a lot of things we can do on our own without provincial and federal support, but it will uh, limit our ability to reach those goals and it will limit the kind of economic transformation that we think is possible. So it's not just about greenhouse gas emissions. This new provincial government is very focused on uh, economic diversification and the resiliency of our economy uh, to, to be relevant you know, whether it's in energy or in other areas, over and above fossil fuel combustion. And we have strategies that will help them do that. So for, uh, you know, high return on investment, for relatively speaking, low commitment of funds in the provincial context, you know, we can help them achieve those results, which are really, really good, by the way, for Alberta's reputation, which if we want to continue to be a hydrocarbons for burning exporter in the meantime, as this energy transition happens, uh, is also good to do. So how much would you see renewable energy playing a role in that? Well, I think it's going to depend on what's happening with the technology. I think you're going to continue to see, uh, you know, wind at the sort of industrial level play a role. Uh, it's not a great fit for uh, for in an urban context, obviously. Um, I think uh, solar, you know, is getting 
closer and closer to, to grid parity and uh, I think has some real potential. So, um, and then, like I said, uh, harvesting through geo-exchange and through waste heat harvesting, I think there's a lot of different things we can do in the urban context that, that uh, we're interested in seeing deployed in Edmonton. So solar-ready construction, uh, subdivision patterns that, uh, that orient for passive and active solar collection. I think we're trying to position um, uh, future residential and industrial construction to, to be able to harvest those opportunities if and when PV gets to the point where it makes sense. Now, if you put a carbon price in, uh, all of a sudden, if you're elect- uh, rather than incenting the uh, the PV uptake, now all of a sudden you have a disincentive to uh, stay dependent on a high carbon grid. So I think a lot of these dynamics are going to uh, change favorably in the coming years, just around pricing alone, based on what I think will ha- come out of uh, uh, Andrew Leach's um, uh, climate change. Uh, advisory group that's advising the premier. So I'm I'm quite optimistic actually that the conditions are going to be there for massive uptake of renewables over this 20-year cycle, and the city needs to be um, uh, making sure that our regulations, from everything from um, land use to zoning uh, to where we put trees, uh, helps enable that. So the city's ready to do some dramatic stuff. Uh, there's changes in government that look like there might be willing partners. Uh, how optimistic are you? I'm more optimistic than I was six months ago, certainly with the changes of government, um, you know, and, and, and federally, you know, we're going to listen to scientists again. <laughs> Things like that are very encouraging because it was looking a bit bleak there for a while. So I'm actually as optimistic as I've been that uh, some of the kinds of big policy changes that need to happen nationally and provincially are going to happen. And again, knowing that uh, that our council and our public and, uh, and, and businesses and thought leaders around the city who have contributed to building this strategy are bought into it, you know, uh, home builders who are interested in in adopting uh, the kind of innovation that's been happening in their space. I mean, we can be a leader um, uh, in the Canadian context and internationally around some of the technology that's going to be required to get us to the finish line. And and that is uh, not only ethically the right thing to do uh, for, for our environment, for our climate, but it's also a, a great business opportunity. And I think more and more um, Edmonton leaders are seeing it that way. And because uh, Otherwise, we can just buy these technologies from other people, uh, from businesses that come from other cities. Or we can be uh, entrepreneurial about this the same way we have been about other technologies and other opportunities in the past. So I, I see this as something that there's increasing consensus around and that, the again, the regulatory conditions are going to be conducive to it. And the social conditions and the political conditions are already there, which is you know, six months ago even that wasn't the case. Well, Mayor Don Iveson, thank you so much for taking the time. Pleasure. That's it for our exclusive full-length interview with Edmonton Mayor Don Iveson. Want more? Head to greenenergyfutures.ca for our blog and photos on Edmonton's energy transition strategy. Thank you for listening. For Green Energy Futures, I'm David Dodge.